Well, Merry Christmas to everyone again. Is everyone excited to be here? Yeah? Awesome, awesome. It's Christmas Eve. Tomorrow morning's a big deal for me. I've asked Santa for some special presents, and I'm hoping that I'll get at least one out of two. The first thing I asked Santa for was uh, an Evolution basketball. And if you're a baller of any sort, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, these are the best basketballs in the market right now. Uh, Spalding's got to deal with the NBA, so they don't use these. But, but uh, these are the greatest basketballs on the market. I am so excited that tomorrow morning I'm going to get a brand new basketball. I hope. I hope. So hopefully Santa will bring that to me. I've also asked Santa for a brand new pair of Kevin Durant sneakers. Uh, this is what they look like. And here's why, here's why. Those of you who are ballers, you understand this. What good is a jump shot if you don't look good shooting it? <laughs> like, what's the point, right? So, but I don't, I don't think Santa's going to bring these to me because they're like a buck sixty. you know what I'm saying? So uh, they're a little bit out of my... Anyway, um, yeah, so hopefully you're excited about tomorrow. And uh, I got a great talk for you, very relevant. Today, the name of the talk, uh, I titled it today, is called How to Get What You Want from Santa. So this is very relevant uh, talk today. Uh, no, I'm not actually going to do that. That'd be fun though, wouldn't it? Um, this is a church and we try to be spiritual, so we're actually going to talk about some spiritual things. Uh, we're in a series right now all about Christmas and, and we've been talking about this big idea about what, is, what does the good news really mean? If you're familiar with the Christmas story and you read it or you've watched Charlie Brown at some point in the past, you've heard Charlie talk about it. But in Luke chapter 2, this is, this is what the angel said to a bunch of shepherds in the field when Jesus was born and Mary wrapped him in swallowing clothes. It says this right here. The angel said, don't be afraid. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now watch this. This is what the good news is. Ready? The Savior, we just got done singing about the Savior, right? The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so in this series for the last three weeks, we've been talking about what exactly is this good news. We talked about personal satisfaction last week. We talked about healing in our relationships. And hopefully those of you who were here last week, you took some of that into your family gatherings. Uh, this last, maybe last night or maybe even tonight, you're going to have some family gatherings and very practical stuff there about how to bring more peace into your relationships. And maybe some of you need to watch that podcast before tonight's dinner. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it might be very helpful to you. Uh, but so we've been unpacking this idea, like, what does it mean? What does this good news really mean? Good news that will bring great joy to all people, a Messiah, a Savior. The Lord has been born in Bethlehem. You know, today I want to talk about what God really wants. It's, it's ironic around this time of the year that we're always thinking about what we want, it's, it's incredible. It's Jesus' birthday that we're celebrating, and I'm thinking about an evolution basketball. <laughs> Isn't that, is that odd to anybody else? Like, I'm hoping to get some Kevin Durant sneakers, and, and, and this is not even my birthday. I mean, who shows up to somebody else's birthday party hoping to get a present? I mean, this, has anybody ever thought about that? Like, this is Jesus' birthday we're celebrating, and we're all excited about, about what we're going to get. It's, it's really strange to me. So what I want to do today is kind of reverse that and maybe talk about maybe, I don't know, what Jesus would want since it's his birthday. Good idea? So I want to answer this question today, like, what does God really want? Like, if it's his birthday, what's the point? What's on his heart? What is it that he desires? And we don't have to look very far to find the answer. In fact, we don't have to look past the Christmas story, because what we find in the Christmas story is that God sent Jesus into this world so that he can be with us. Like, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason 
The last line in the last song we just sang that the baby was born that we might have life. That, that through Christ we could have life. We could be with God. That we, we could be together with God. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the way the Apostle Paul explained it. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. In other words, the whole reason that Jesus came into this world as a baby was to break down the barrier or remove the, the wall between man and God. And, and so he went to the cross and he died on the cross so that our sins would be removed so that we can be brought back to God. We can have reconciliation with God. It's not just about the forgiveness of our sins. It's about restoring a relationship. God actually wants to be with me. He actually wants to be with you on an everyday basis. That's why Christ came into the world, and that's what God wants from us. Does that make sense? You know, Jesus had this habit of hanging out with people who were written off, and, and uh, I guess you could call them unspiritual people. And if you, if you read the New Testament, you can see him doing this from time to time. And, and he would get criticized for spending time, that didn't go to the, for spending time with people who didn't go to the temple and, and weren't religious people. And one day he was hanging out with a bunch of sinners, and they were just kind of crowding around him, and they were listening to what he had to say. And his critics had something to say about the situation, and this is what they said. The Pharisees or the religious leaders of that day, they grumbled, they complained. <laughs> this is what they said. This man receives sinners and he even eats with them. Now let me pause here and kind of explain what this means. To receive someone who was, quote, a sinner or a non-synagogue attending person was to accept them. It was to agree with them. It was, to, it was to receive them into your life. And to, have a, and to sit down and have a meal with them is to go a step further and, said, and to say this, I'm your friend. When you broke bread with someone back in Jesus' day, you were, you were saying, let's enter into a friendship. That's what Jesus would do. He would, he would regularly find time for people who were considered sinners written off by the world and even written off by the religious leaders of today. This is what he would do. And so, his, so, so he's, get, he's getting this criticism, and in order to answer his critics or to explain his behavior, he tells three quick stories, one after another after another. He tells a story about a woman who lost a coin, which was sort of kind of like an engagement ring back then. Women would wear these, these, these headpieces that had coins on them. It was very important. And then he tells another story about a, a shepherd who lost a sheep, and, and back in those days, your sheep were your livelihood, so they were very important to the shepherd. And then he tells a story about a, a son who left his father prematurely. And one after another, he rapid fire tells these stories in order to explain why he's hanging out with these non-religious, non-synagogue going, non-temple going people. And each story had the same point. Something of extreme value or someone of extreme value was disconnected from the owner. The coin was disconnected from the woman. The sheep was disconnected from the, the shepherd. And the son was disconnected from the father. And in each one of the stories, you can read it when you get home in Luke chapter 15. In each one of the stories, there's an all-out search because something of extreme value was lost. And then there was a, a reunion. There was a, a reconciliation. There was a finding. And after each time that the coin, the coin was found, Found, and the sheep was found, and the son was found. There is this party. There is this celebration. Jesus would say this: "There's more. There's more celebrating in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 people who do not need to repent." 
Jesus explains the whole purpose of why he came into the world on that Christmas morning. He came to be with people that he loves and he values. Perhaps you walked in today and you, you think that you're one of the sinners. You think that you're too bad, too far gone, that God would never have you. It's not true. There's a, I've heard it said, and even in this community, as I've invited people to church and here and there, they say, oh, I can't come to church because if I come to church, the place will burn down. (laughs) Have you heard that said? Maybe you have said that. And maybe today you accepted an invitation, and guess what? The place didn't burn down. It's a miracle. Why? Because Jesus receives sinners. He even eats with them. He came for you. I hope you would receive that truth today. It's the whole purpose behind Christmas. It's a rescue mission. He wants to be with us. In fact, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays this really long prayer. And I'm not going to go through it all. I just want to show you one verse in John chapter 17. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. And then he's also praying for those who would come to believe in him, which would be us in, in years to come. He says, I pray that they will be in, I pray that they will all be one in unity. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, important word, Father, and I am in you. Listen to what he prays for you and I. Watch this. And they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I don't know why, but this, during this series, this, this, this verse jumped out to me. Maybe it's because it describes the, the fellowship and the intimacy that we were created for. The word in appears three times. Jesus could have said, God, Father, I pray that they would be close to us. I pray that they would, you know, hang out with us and that would, they would hear our voice from time to time. No, he says, I pray that in the same way that I'm in you and the same way that you're in me, I pray that they would be in us. And I thought of an illustration to try to help you to remember this. And I thought of a vase and I thought of some liquid and I thought, what, what could I show? What could I hold? What can I do on the stage to give people a, a picture of what Jesus is actually saying here when he says, I want you to be in us. And I just thought of liquid inside of a cylinder. And this is what Jesus was praying for. I pray that you, you would be in me. In the same way that I am in the Father And the Father is in me. It's why I came. It's why I came into the world. I want to be this close to you. I want, dare I say, I want to be inside of you. I want you to be inside of me. Think about the intimacy. Think about the closeness. This is what God wants for Christmas. He wants to be this close to you. Fascinating, don't you think? You know, the last book of the Bible is a challenging one. It's called the book of Revelation. Some of you never touch it because it's kind of scary. <laughs> There's weird things in that book, like beasts and creatures and four-headed monsters and stuff like that. I think it's quite fascinating. But in the end of Revelation, last book of the Bible, second to last chapter, this is how the story ends, folks. If you want to know how does the whole human story end, read the last part of Revelation. I'll show you one picture, one verse. Revelation 21. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Who's on the throne, by the way? Anybody? Any Sunday school people? Who's on the word? This is a great Sunday school question. Who's on the throne? Don't you love that? Say a little bit louder. Who's on the throne? Jesus. Remember in Sunday school, those of you who went, (laughs) the teacher would ask a question, and the answer was always, Jesus! (laughs) You could never go wrong, right? Whatever the question was, it was like, Jesus! This is, I said, I gave you an easy one. Who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? Yeah, don't you feel smart? All right, so Jesus is on the throne, right? And this is what Jesus is saying on the throne. Remember, this is how the story ends. This is how the Bible ends. It's the last book of the Bible. Well, second to last chapter. Look, Jesus says, God, say with me, home. 
His home, the place where he dwells. Think about your home right now. It's the place you live. You've created. It's comfortable. It's just like you like it for most of us, right? God's home is now among his, say it with me, people. He doesn't stop there. Watch. He continues to describe the intimacy, the closeness, dare I say, the, the inness that God desires. What does God want? He wants to be with us, in us. He says, he, that is God, will be with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, say it with me, with them. It's what God wants for Christmas. He wants intimacy. He wants closeness. He wants to be in you. He wants to be with you. The name of our church is Emmanuel. You want to know what it means? God with us. It's the whole point of Christmas. It's what God wants. It's what he desires. It's on his heart. It's, on, it's, what, it's, what, it's what's on his heart. He wants to be with us. Now, first question, what does God want? I want to answer a second question today. Why does he want it? Like, what's the point? What does he want, and why does he want it? And the answer to this question is very simple. In your notes, God's presence, the presence of God, brings eternal life right now. In other words, there's something about his presence that is good for us. In other words, the the best thing that you and I need, the best thing that, that, that can happen to us is that we receive his presence, and as we receive his presence into our life, we receive eternal life right now. Far too many people of faith think that Christianity is about Jesus coming into the world as a baby, growing up to, the, to be the age of 33, dying on the cross, rising again the third day, so that we can go to heaven after this life is over. And Christianity has been reduced to that, and it's simply not true. It's true that we get to go to heaven when we die, we put our faith in Christ, but what about life right now? Notice I put the word now in here. <laughs> right Now, eternal life starts in this moment. It's happening right now as you raise your families, as you go to work, as you do what you do every single day of your lives. Listen to Jesus in John 17. This is right before he prayed. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This word know is the word gnoske, or we, you know, we get the word agnostic from this word. Agnostic means I don't know. <laughs> well, to know means that you understand something. And it is not, it's not just knowledge about someone, like let's say, for example, Kevin Durant. I know about Kevin Durant. Some of you don't. You need to read up a little bit. He's going to break some records, okay? He's going to break some records. But I know about Kevin Durant. I know what he, what he likes to do in a game. I know, I know what team he's on. I know how tall he is. Uh, I know how much he weighs. I know that's a little weird. <clears throat> I know about him, but I, but I don't know him. Like, Kevin's not on my, on my favorites in my cell phone. That'd be really cool, and if you could help me out with that, that'd be awesome, Okay. <laughs> But I don't know where he lives. I don't know what, what, I don't know what goes on in his mind. I don't, have, I don't understand what makes him happy or sad. I don't understand where, I don't know what his favorite food is. I don't, I don't know what time he goes to bed. I don't have intimate knowledge of Kevin Durant. So there's two different types of knowing. This knowing right here is the deeper kind. Eternal life is about knowing God, what he's like, what he wants, what he desires, and him knowing you. It's a relationship. It's experiential knowledge. The best thing I could come up with to illustrate it is the way I know my wife. My wife and I have been now married for 17 years. I do know what her favorite foods are. I do know what time she goes to bed. I do know what gets her angry and what makes her happy. And if I tell you right now, I'm going to be in big trouble. (laughs) 
but I have intimate knowledge of this woman. Why? Because I know her. See, you see what I'm talking about here? That's what God wants. And we need that in our lives. That is the essence of eternal life. It's what's best for us. Say, well, what does that actually look like, eternal life? Well, I'm going to give you three ideas here. Eternal life actually looks like living with contentment. Living with contentment. I could have said satisfaction, but living with, I think the contentment captures what I'm trying to say. It's, it's this feeling that I had last night. I was at my mother-in-law's house with the rest of my family, and she cooked this roast, this uh, piece of meat. Man, it was so good. And there was potatoes, and there was sweet potato pie, and there was um, sweet potato casserole, and there was the, all this other stuff. And we ate, and it was so good. And at the end of that meal, you know what I felt? Content. <laughs> Content. That's what what this word means, this feeling of being satisfied and I don't need any more. Listen to the provocative words of the baby that became a man who is our Messiah in John 6, verse 35. Listen to what he said. I am the bread of life. Why does he use food? Because he knows we love food. (laughs) Does that make sense? Anybody else love food? I mean, come on. This is a thing, right, in our lives. We eat every day. Some of us eat way too much. And, but it, he understands how much we appreciate and love food. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Translation, whoever comes to me by faith will be satisfied, will be content. Obviously, he's not talking about food, guys. Come on. Is he talking about food? <laughs> No, we get hungry about every three hours, some of us sooner. He's not talking about physical. He's not talking about our physical stomach. He's talking about the soul, what your soul needs and what my soul needs. And he says, I've got what your soul needs, my presence. I came into the world to bring you contentment. There's nothing in this world that can provide the contentment that I can deliver to you. Not the pursuit of money or possessions, not the pursuit of power or wealth, not any type of pleasure, whatever type of pleasure it would be. Nothing in this world can satisfy your soul because your soul was made for me. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Wow, that's what eternal life looks like. Wouldn't you like to be satisfied in that way? You can be. Instead of having this gnawing thing inside of you that's never satisfied, pushing, going, looking for something new, always something over the horizon, what's the next thing? And you're going always, you don't even know why you're going, but you're going. Here's why you're going. Here's why you're pushing, because you're not satisfied. You're not eating and feasting upon the bread of life. And if you would today, you would never hunger or thirst. Again, that's what eternal life looks like. That's why we need God's presence. It also looks like living above sin. Eternal life looks like you and I get to live above sin. You know, sin destroys the soul. I did a whole series on this uh, several months ago uh, called, uh, what did I call it? (laughs) There you go. Uh, Something about the soul. It was, uh, there you go. Some of you remember it. That's good. (laughs) And what sin does is it destroys the soul. It breaks the soul down. It splits up the soul. Inside of your soul, you have a couple of components. You have your mind and your will and your emotions. And when you do something you know you shouldn't do, or when you, when you don't do something you know that you should do, it splits up your mind. It splits up your will. Your will knows you should do it, and, you're men, and now you didn't do it, or you did do it. You did something wrong, and your mind has to go into you know, hyperdrive to kind of put the soul back together because that's what the soul does. 
The soul is created, God has created your soul to heal itself, much like your body. If you cut yourself, all of a sudden, it takes some time, but your body will heal that wound. Your soul is created the same way. And so in order to heal your soul from sinning, from splitting your soul apart, it goes into hyperdrive and it starts to justify and rationalize and make excuses and even get to the point where denial comes into play. I've sat down with several people in my life and talked about their sin and what they did. And to my astonishment, these are grown adults. To my astonishment, several times in my life, I've had grown adults tell me, I didn't do it. When all the evidence was out there that they did. And what do you do with that? Well, why does a person live? You know, do you know anybody who lives in denial? <laughs> Maybe you do. Why, why does a person do that? Because they have to go to bed at night thinking well of themselves. And the only way to do that is to deny that it ever happened. I didn't do that. It's so fun. Sometimes I'll do it just for jokes in my home when I sin or make some other, you know, offense, which happens often in our home. <laughs> I'll say, you know where I was going with that, those of you who have families and kids? No, you don't, do you? <laughs> Flatulence? Okay, there you go. Now you know. <laughs> I'll often say, wouldn't me? <laughs> okay, maybe that's not funny. I thought it was. I do it for fun. I deny it. I just say it didn't happen. It wasn't me. And I just, just make, make myself feel good about myself. That's what the soul does. The soul tries to bend and shape and tell stories and make excuses and blame shift and say it's his fault. It's her fault for the behavior because at, at the end of the day, the soul wants to feel good. It wants to feel whole. Sin destroys the soul. You know what eternal life does? Eternal life puts the soul back together. Eternal life restores the soul. The presence of God comes into, into our lives and gets the soul back on track and puts all the pieces back together, the mind, the will, and the emotions. In the book of Proverbs, which is a fantastic book, if you're not a Bible reader and you want to start reading the Bible, Proverbs is a great place to start. It's practical wisdom for, for everyday life. It's written for, to a, from a father to a son, okay? It's right in the middle of the Bible. You don't have to look hard for it. It's the book of Proverbs. It's all about mentoring and fathering and all this stuff. And in chapter 5 of Proverbs, the father is teaching the son how to avoid a world of sexual sin. He's saying, hey, here's how, to get, here's how you avoid it. Here's the traps. Here's how you get out. And one of the main motivations he gives his son is the presence of God. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, watch this. He says, son, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Translation, son, there's nothing you can do that is hidden from his sight. He's always with you. He's always watching. And guess what he does, son? He always ponders your next path. The, when, wherever, whatever path you go down, he's thinking about it, and he's watching you, and he's present. And what Solomon is teaching his son here is to live with a fear of God, to be concerned about what God thinks. Don't forget that God is there, that God is with you, and he cares about your life, and he cares about your choices. And when you and I cultivate the presence of God in our life, we become more aware of right and wrong, and we choose to do the right thing more often because we're concerned about doing things in an ungodly way. We're concerned about offending God. We're concerned about hurting our relationship with him. We're concerned about splitting up our soul, our mind, and our will, and our emotions. See, when you have eternal life, when you have God's presence in your life, it helps you to sin less. Notice I didn't say to become sinless. No one is sinless, myself included. <laughs> okay, I sin all the time. But you can sin less when you cultivate the presence of God in your life. It looks like living above sin. Now, number three, let me say, not number three, but in your notes there. 
the presence of God also helps you to live with courage. It helps you to live with courage. How many of you would agree that you need some courage in your life, that life is tough? Life has some challenges and some twists and some turns and things happen and, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Whether it's a job situation or a relationship situation or someone close to you passes away or, or you, it's a child parenting situation. There are always challenges in this life and you and I need courage in our lives. Do you agree? Yes or no? Absolutely. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, I place God before my mind. I live in his presence because he's at my right hand. He's right next to me. He can't be any closer. Well, Jesus said he can be in us. But back then, he didn't, you know, they didn't have that language. So they talked about being at your right hand. To be at someone's right hand means that they were as close as possible to you. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be, say it with me, shaken. My life, the word means to be immovable. I will not trip up or slip up. I will stand firm on the rock. Why? Because God is at my right hand. Therefore, my heart is glad in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices in my body. Guess what happens to my body? My flesh. How does it dwell? It dwells how? How, how does it dwell? It dwells secure. I am secure. I am unmovable. I am on this solid rock. Why? Where's that? Where does that courage come from? It comes from the very presence of God in our lives. And that's what Jesus meant. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is the story of Joshua. Right after Moses died, God taps Joshua on the shoulder and says, now you're going to take over from Moses and you're going to go into the promised land. And you're going to take all these people and you're going to conquer different cities and, and take over. And, and, and you have to understand the context here. These, these guys, they, they just wandered around in the desert for 40 years. These were not soldiers. They didn't have swords. They didn't have helmets. They were, they were wanderers. Now they're going to go in and conquer cities. This is madness. So Joshua had a lot of reasons to be afraid. Do you agree? It's like, well, he couldn't put his confidence in his people. They weren't soldiers. Where was he going to put his confidence? God says this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed because the Lord your God is always with you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Why do I have that verse memorized? Is it because I needed a verse for this sermon? What do you think? Yes or no? Come on. Come on. I need that. I need Joshua 1.9 in my life because life is filled with challenges and difficulties and obstacles that I can't see coming. Sometimes there are giants in the land and I don't know how to fight them, right? I need to go back to Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed because the Lord, your God, is with you. The presence of God brings courage into my life. How did David have the courage to go fight Goliath? Come on. Come on. You guys know that story, right? Where did he get the courage to tell Saul, no, no, no problem. I'll do it. Even when Saul was saying, oh, come on. You're just a little kid. You're just a teenager. You're just a little boy. This guy's going to squash you like a grape. David says, no, 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 see, you don't understand. I've killed lions. I've killed bears. And the same way the Lord gave the lion and the bear into my hand, he's going to do that with Goliath. See, he knew that it was God. He knew that God was with him. And when God was with him, he can face 
Goliath. How did Esther go into the king? What a great story. If you don't read the Bible, read the Bible. Where did she find the courage to go into the king? Where did Daniel find the courage to go into the lion's den? Where did he find the courage? Was it not the presence of God in his life? So that's what eternal life is. It helps us to have courage. It helps us to live above sin. And it helps us to find contentment. Let me give you the second reason in your notes there. Number two, what else does the presence of God do? The presence of God helps us to never feel alone. I heard a stat the other day. One in five Americans suffer from loneliness. Think about it in a crowd this size. How many people does that mean? One in five people suffer from extreme Loneliness. What is the loneliness? Loneliness is this feeling of emptiness that, and this feeling of being unwanted, and I don't have a purpose in life. Loneliness. It's such a sad thing. It affects people when they move from a new town, from an old town to a new town. It affects people when they have a, a husband or a wife pass away. It affects people when they go into a new job situation and they, they, don't, they fail to connect with somebody and they really don't, even though they're in the middle of a lot of people, They're lonely, so it's not just about being absent from people. Loneliness. You know what the presence of God does in our lives? It helps us to never feel alone. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says it this way. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what. This helps me. When I start to feel like nobody understands and I start to feel like nobody's there or whatever, which is rare in my life. I have a ton of people in my life. But from time to time, you start to feel like you're all alone and nobody gets it. You ever been there? Nobody gets it. Nobody understands what my situation's like. Guess what? You never have to feel that way because you have a God who has said, I will never depart from you. I will never. If you're a Christ follower, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can bank on the fact that Jesus is always with you. Right before he gave the Great Commission, which is this charge to go make disciples in the whole world in Matthew 28, he says these words. He says, here's the deal, guys. I want you to go out and make disciples of all nations. And I want you to teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And and I want you to baptize in them in in my name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? As you do that, I will be with you. Why does he tell them that? It's the same reason that God told Joshua that, because he knew it was going to be difficult and challenging, and it would feel lonely, and they'd be all alone, and they'd be persecuted, and they needed to be reassured constantly of God's presence in their life. See, God's presence gives us eternal life right now. God's presence helps us to never feel alone. I want you to contemplate that. We're going to close Uh, with a song here, and I want you to think through Christmas through that lens. What does God want? God wants to be with you. Why does he want it? Because it's what you and I need most. And then when the the band and the team is done with a song, I'm going to come back up and close us.
have come to save us. You have come to save us. You have come to save us, Lord. You have made a way here. You have made the way clear. You have come to save us, Lord. Jesus, you're the one who saves us. You're the one who saves us, King of all the other kings on earth. Jesus, you're the one who saves us. You're the one who saves us, King of all the other kings on earth. You are light and fire. You are my desire. You have come to save us, Lord. You're the hope of my peace that binds us. You have come to save us, Lord. Oh, yeah, you have come to save us, Lord. Jesus, you're the one who saves us. You're the one who saves us. King of all the other kings on
Jesus made it very simple. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. He made it so clear. If you recognize today your soul hunger, your soul thirst, if you recognize today there's nothing in this world that will ever fulfill your soul other than Christ, if today God has opened your eyes to see that, to understand that, that eternal life means contentment, that eternal life looks like you get to live in freedom from sin, that you get to live your life with courage and to never feel alone, if you recognize that, would you take a step of faith and put your faith in Christ? I did it when I was 17 years old. I was sitting in a service just like this and based on some things that my mom had said, don't you love moms? (laughs) Moms love you. Mom kind of set things up. She told me about Jesus and then I heard a preacher talk about it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. That's all me. That's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to satisfy my soul in every other way possible. And all I needed was to come to Jesus, the bread of life. All I needed was to come to Jesus, the living water. And I remember that day when I was 17, I put my faith in Christ. I was in my backyard. I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I just prayed some sort of prayer that the preacher said to pray. And I put my trust in Christ and I became a Christ follower. Had no idea it would lead to me becoming a pastor, but I'm so glad that it did because now I get to tell literally thousands of people about the bread of life, about the living water, about the only source of satisfaction for the soul. Would you take that step of faith today? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And uh, you say, man, I don't pray a lot. That's okay. I didn't either. (laughs) I just took the preacher's prayer and kind of prayed it, made it my own. And I prayed it and it was enough for me. (laughs) Because really, it's not the prayer at all. It's the faith behind the prayer. It's recognizing the soul thirsts. It's recognizing that you need a savior. It's recognizing that Jesus has everything you've ever longed for. That's what God is looking at right now. So would you take my words, make them your own, and put your faith in Christ right in this moment. This moment is designed for you. You take the step of faith. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now with just a little bit of faith. My soul is hungry. My soul is thirsty. I receive you today as the source of my satisfaction. Fill me. I believe you died on the cross to wash away my sin. I ask you to cleanse me. Take away the shame and the guilt and the penalty. I believe you paid it in full. I trust and believe that you rose again three days later conquering sin and death so that I could live so that you could be with me and that I could have eternal life I've received you today as my savior and help me to live the rest of my life for you and with your strength It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, our church loves to give out uh, a one-year Bible. It's It's not a complete Bible. It's just the New Testament. And the reason we love to do that for anyone who's prayed to receive Christ is because we want to give you a catalyst. We want to get you going on the right foot. Uh, When I put my faith in Christ when I was 17, I had somebody come alongside of me and tell me these 
pretty much a version of this. They said, hey, I'm glad you received Christ. That's awesome. Uh, but now you begin to need, you need to feed your soul. And the way you feed your soul and hear from God is by reading his word. And I took his advice and I never stopped. And, and ever since then, I've been growing in, in my relationship with Christ and, and reading his word. So we want to put one of these in your hands. There's tables over here to my right and to my left. If you're at Banta or, or Franklin, there's tables in the back of the auditorium. If you are in the auditorium right now, I can see you guys. What's up out there in the auditorium? Uh, there is actually a table in the, in the foyer. So not, you guys are in the auditorium. <laughs> in the foyer out there, there's actually a table out there that you can go to in the e-cafe uh, where you can get one of these if you prayed to receive Christ today. There's also a little handout inside. Uh, this is called Starting Point. This is a four-week conversation, uh, conversational environment designed for people who are coming back to faith or just getting started in faith. And it's a four-week conversational, like I said, environment. It starts January 8th. If you're interested in that, you can also sign up for that as well. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? If, if, uh, if you are a guest with us here today and you don't have a church that you call home, we would love for you to return back and uh, start the year with us and uh, maybe turn a different page over in your life and begin seeking Christ and living for him. We'd love to be, as a church, we'd love to be part of that journey with you. And so let me pray and then uh, we'll get out of here. Jesus, thank you for willingly leaving heaven of your own choice humbling yourself to take on flesh and blood and even more so to become a baby that couldn't talk or walk so that one day you could become a man who would stretch out his arms and sacrifice his life for us. We say thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for your birthday. We celebrate it today. This is all about you. For those who put their faith in you today, Jesus, give them the courage to go grab a Bible and begin reading and growing in their faith. Help them to get connected to a church that will help them grow. And as we roll into tomorrow, as we open presents, may we be thinking about the true present, the best present of all, and that is you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.